You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. The words of Jesus echo in the halls of our eternities and our nows. His actions amplified louder. The power of silence only hours before from those with him and who hung on crosses called him a coward. To hang there till his breath released and ceased to exist, the storm clouds drift and crash to the ground. Look around, look around. He shook the ground, he took the ground. Time traveled three days and an empty tomb is all that remains. The perfect man, Jesus, who came like a fresh snowfall was gone. Everything we knew about him, gone. Hope, gone. Anxiety, gone. Miracles, gone. Perfection, gone. Love, gone. Everything we saw, gone. But that stone was gone too. See, Jesus, he wasn't missing, he wasn't stolen, but the stone was rolled away when the voice of God told it to. The stone was gone, but his breath was back. The voice of God to us, an acrobat and a welcome mat, speaks into our futures from the past, and he is still present. He's all around. The resurrected dream, the king who wore a four-stone crown, as we now lay down and listen, as we walk in your life, we're forever changed. We cannot be the same. And as we hear you call our name, we rise. Out of the shadows, round for the gallows, a dead man walking to love game.
good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. This is actually one of my favorite days because we get to come together and celebrate our risen Savior. Not only that he died so that we could live with him forever, but that he rose and that we get to rise with him. Amen. So let's all stand as we worship him this morning.
good. Go ahead and have a seat for a moment. Good morning. So I'm in a suit coat, which means two things. It's Easter and my wife dressed me. So glad to see some of you also in a coat and dressed up in your Sunday best for Easter. How about that opener with the Detroit Youth Choir? That's pretty incredible. Uh, and Kaylee, what the heck? Every service, I don't know how she belts it out, but she does an unbelievable job. So we are thrilled that you guys are here with us this morning to celebrate Easter. A couple of things that I just want to let you know about, and then we're going to get back into it. And I'll just let you know, for as incredible as the opener was, uh, these guys are saving the best for last. So it gets incredible even more so. But before we get to all of that, a few things just to let you know about that are happening here at Kensington and in the next couple of weeks, uh, one of which is our K-Kids department created an unbelievable online experience for your kids. So if you're watching online, where are you at online? Where's my online people? Wherever you're at online, I don't know which camera to look at right now, or you're in the room right now, wherever you're at, what I would encourage you to do is later this week or even later today is to go look up the online experience, check that out, let your kids watch that. Maybe you even do that today while you're tuning in online, or maybe you go do it later in the week. Here's the cool thing. They're going to be looking at the same story that we are, and they're doing it in an unbelievable way. I got to skim through and watch a lot of that, and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. So get your kids into that. Let them watch that. Let them experience it. Also want to let you know that starting next week, we're going to launch off a new series called The Family. And the reason is because we believe that with all the complexity that makes up family, and uh, especially coming out of a year like we have, or some of us have just spent way too much time with our family, that there are some things that God, I think, has to say to us. And all the dynamics of family, from your parents, to being parents, to your siblings, to having no siblings, to fractured families, there is a message from God of truth and hope in all of it. And we're encouraged by what we're learning, and we're encouraged to bring it to all of you. So starting next week, for the next several weeks, we're gonna be launching that series and invite you back to that and to bring some friends to that as well. Also, um, and, and this is a part of us for a community that is really, it's a weekly, and, and I think I can even say this, it's a sacred moment for us. Uh, it's a part of the service where for us, we give because we believe we've been given too. But I also know that for some of you who come in here on a regular Sunday and you're prepared for these moments, there's some of us that come in and we're not prepared for this. As a matter of fact, there's, there's a lot of, I think, rightly earned stereotypes for the church when it comes to moments like this. So let me just make one thing abundantly clear. For us as a community, when we have moments like this where we receive an offering, it is because we believe our God has given to us and so we give back. And we don't give back for any other reason than we believe that it is our job and it is our responsibility to tangibly take the love of Jesus to the rest of the world. This is not for us about a money moment, it's about a mission moment, it's about a trust moment. Us trusting God with what he's given us and us using that then to continue the work of reaching people in very real ways. It's one of the reasons, honestly, for the last year and a half that I've been a part of this community, my family and I, we're honestly, we're proud to do this. We're proud to be a part of these moments because these are the moments that enable us to rescue women out of human trafficking in Nepal, to put wells of water in places like Kenya, to the Kapokot people, to literally serve in our backyard right here. Like these are the moments that allow us to reach so many people in very real ways with the message that there's a God. His name is Jesus and we all matter to him. So there's a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, some of you are familiar with it. If you're not, they'll be on the screen from our app to giving online, even going to our website, or you can do that on the way out. If you wanna do something physically in a bucket, there'll be an opportunity to do that. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouragement to continue to enable us to do what we do as a church and as a community. 
So last thing I'll say, and then I'm gonna hand it back off to Matthias here into the band. Our hope and our plans for months now have been to one ultimate end on this morning. And it's that together we would have the opportunity to hear the voice of God. And I'm just gonna make an assumption about this room, including those of you that are watching online, is that not all of us believe that God has a voice. Frankly, not all of us believe there's a God. And some of us are trying to figure out if there even is, and if there is, does he have a voice? Can he be heard? Can he be known? I just wanna tell you very clearly, God is. His name is Jesus. He has a voice. It can be heard, and it can be understood. And I think for some of us, maybe the truth is God has actually been speaking to us long before today. Some of us know it. Some of us have heard it. Some of us don't realize yet that some of what we've heard throughout the course of our life has in fact been the voice of God. There's a verse in the Bible that says that the heavens declare his glory and the stars the works of his hand. Do you realize that literally when you look up in the sky, it's like creation itself is speaking to you on God's behalf. It is his voice. And I think today he has a voice that he wants us to hear and understand. So here's what's so cool. Matthias here, uh, he wrote a song that all of our campuses are doing this morning that is about the power and the beauty of the voice of God and what it does. So I'm gonna hand it off to him and I'm gonna let you explain to us kind of where this song comes from. Yeah, so um, me and my buddy, Steve Davis, uh, we, we got together and we started trying to write the song on the voice of God and quickly realized how difficult that that might be to write on such, uh, on a topic that has so much content you could write about it because everyone experiences his voice a little differently, right? And uh, the way that we went, we, we decided to write on how we hear it in nature. And the reason for that is because for those of you who've never been here before and don't know me, um, I'm a worship pastor here, but I'm also a farmer at all other hours of the day uh, when I'm not doing this. And uh, we run our farm uh, according to regenerative practices. And so what that means for us is especially as believers, we believe that we, or what we try to do is we try to almost imitate and recreate what we believe the environment, whether it's plants or animals, we try to recreate the, the environment that we believe that they were originally designed to thrive in. And two things happen when we see that, or when we do this, and we, we see these two things happen. One is that the animals thrive the way that they were always meant to. And when we watch them thrive in their in, in in that environment, it's almost as if, and if you have trouble hearing the voice of God, I would challenge you to spend some time in nature because what nature does best is reflect what he already created and what he already spoke into existence. It's a literal recording of his voice and what he spoke into existence in in the beginning. But the other thing it does is, one of the purposes that regenerative agriculture serves is restoration. We leave the land better than when we started. And so what we get to witness is a regeneration and a restoration of the soil. And it's so cool because it, it reflects this story, this love story that we get to be a part of where we were all thriving. And all of creation was, was living according to the way God designed them. And then sin entered the world and messed things up. And he's been on constant, in constant pursuit and on mission to restore and renew us ever since. And that's what this song celebrates. 
especially when we get to experience his voice in that way. When you do, you, you can't get enough of it. You want more and you want more and you want more. So that's what we're gonna sing about in this song. If you want to stand and sing this with us. speaking 
shame is undone when you speak all my sins are gone when you speak all these dry bones they get up and run when you speak all my chains fall off yeah when you thing is if you could talk to you know, these guys that were up here singing they would tell you those aren't those aren't just lyrics that's a that's a reality for them God has spoken not once but they've heard God's voice Matthias isn't singing out of an idea he's singing out of an experience an experience that we have been praying that if you have not yet had you will but here's the thing about this Easter, when, especially when you talk about the voice of God, there is an irony that we have to deal with before you get to Easter, which began on Friday. And the irony is that before today, there was the horror that was Good Friday, that began with betrayal and beatings, rejection, abandonment, that involved Jesus standing before judges being accused unjustly. The execution, the crucifixion, and then here's what's, it's just mind-boggling, is that the God of creation who has a voice and speaks literally hung on a cross and allowed us, his creation, to silence his voice. That's what Friday was. It was the moment that the God of creation hung on a tree and had his voice taken away. Here's the incredible thing. That was Friday. This is Sunday. And it's not just any Sunday. 
it's the Sunday. Jesus is alive any and every Sunday, but this is the Sunday we celebrate. That 2,000 years ago, the seven most important words of all creation were spoken into creation. I know y'all have been up and down a number of times today, but would you, would you just do this one more time with me? To your feet as I read what are the seven most important words of all creation, that they would be spoken over us in a fresh way today. They're found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and it says this. On the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now hear the words. He is not here. He has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. On those words, everything changed. Those seven words, when they were spoken into creation, have now traveled from continent to continent, community to community, person to person, have stretched virtually every corner of this globe and can still be heard today. They are what change everything. If that tomb is empty, he is not there. That he is risen. Now, on your feet still for one more minute. Here's how it continues to go. It says here, the angel said to them, then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him now that I have told you. I want you to start hearing some words here that are important. He says, go tell, now I've told. It says verse 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell there it is again, tell, told, tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, and he clasped his feet and worshiped him. And then he said, tell, there it is again, my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here's something that struck me fresh and new, even just this morning. Yet from the angel to Jesus, say, tell, told, tell, and it all culminates in see. Here's the point. To see God, you first must hear the seeing precedes the hearing. And my hope and my prayer this morning is that we will hear something that allows us to see something. Maybe for the first time, or maybe again. So I'm going to just pray, and I want to ask the God of creation, who this book is about, whose tomb is empty, who's present in this room, who has a voice, that we'd hear it, and that we'd understand it. So go ahead and have a seat while I pray for us. Father, God of creation, I take a knee before you who is also the king of creation, the one who the scriptures tell us all heaven and earth derive our name from. I acknowledge this morning that you are, your name is Jesus, that your life really was truly given up when you became one of us, yet possessing all of your godness and somehow in that still experience death and then resurrection. And God, as we're here to celebrate that today, we're also here in a lot of different places. Some of us here to celebrate that, some of us here to question it, some of us here with disbelief about it, some of us here just trying to figure out what to make of it, some of us here not even sure why we're here. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do, what no musician, no pastor, no person can do 
from this stage or in this room, what only you can do, which is to speak your voice in a way that we can hear it, that penetrates to the deepest parts of who we are. That this morning, as we would find ourselves not just celebrating you, but being drawn to you. God, that there are parts of our lives that I just know have experienced death. Maybe some of us even right now sitting in a place of brokenness and pain where we need your resurrection power. So God, as we celebrate, as we listen, as we lean in, would you captivate our hearts? Would you captivate our minds and give us the ability to understand beyond ourselves you who are the maker, the creator, and the Lord of creation? Breathe into this room and let us hear your voice. Amen. Just, um, it's not about them today, but man, I appreciate this crew so much. Would you just thank them as they walk off for what they helped create? I want to make it abundantly clear. Today, we don't celebrate religion. We celebrate resurrection. But I also want to, I want to start with a question for you that is really going to help set some, some direction for us the next few minutes. Uh, and the question is this, and I want to tell you a story. Have you ever found yourself in life ignoring a voice that later on you regretted and knew you should have listened to? Maybe, maybe it was the voice of your spouse. Go ahead and elbow them right now. Uh, maybe it was the voice of your kids. Maybe it was the voice of a parent. Maybe it was even that internal voice. You know those moments that you have a voice in, in your head and in your heart? It's kind of that internal thing. And there's even moments that you know, like, I don't think that was mine. And you ignore that. Like, have you ever had a moment where you ignored a voice that later on you ended up regretting? Pretty much that's the majority of my life. If you were to be honest, I, I would tell you, I could tell you countless stories of times where I'm like, should have listened to that voice. So it's no surprise that as I even remember back that my earliest memory is that kind of a moment. Like, seriously, my earliest memory, I, I don't have a memory younger than the one I'm about to tell you, was a moment of ignoring a voice that I should have listened to. It was my parents at this point in my life. But one of the things we used to do as kids when we were growing up is we would go to this place called Point Peely in Canada. Uh, I, now, I don't know if it really had as big of waves as I remember when I was a kid or if it was just because I was a kid. Like, if I went there now, I don't know if they'd be as big. But in my mind, they're like skyscraper big, and there's massive horse flies. I'll never, those are big. Those, I'll never forget those things, nasty flies. But we would go there all the time as kids, and that was like our thing to do in the summer. Multiple times we would go there. Like, every weekend, that's where we were at. And so I'm sure my mom did this multiple other times before, but this day, I distinctly remember my mom saying to me, do you see the markers? Don't go past the markers. And don't take off your floaties. I had the little arm floaty thing. So again, I had to be super young. So I remember, like, this is just me. Like, I, I distinctly remember this. I get in the water. I look back at my mom, and I'm like, I'm going to do what I want to do. So I start swimming out there. And sure enough, at some point, like, I get to the markers. I look back, and I can see the thing that only a mom can do where they talk with their eyes. And she's like, do not go past that marker. Do not go past that marker. I'm like, you're not going to catch me now. I'm already out here. So I went past the marker and, and disappears the bottom. And I just keep going and going and going. And I'm like, I'm fine. I got floaties on. I'm good. I'll swim back when I'm done. But then something happened I didn't expect it. All, all of a sudden, the bottom came up under my feet. I was like, what? I didn't touch the bottom. Huh. And so then I go like this. I'm like, I don't need these. And I just put them off in the water. And they quickly floated away. And I remember looking at them. I was like, I can touch. And I just start walking. You know this is going, right? What happened? The bottom left. That's what happened. And suddenly, I didn't realize I was on a sandbar, and the sandbar went away, and I just went, bloop. 
and I'm underwater. And it, it wasn't like super, super deep, but it was deep enough that I do remember this. As I stretched up my hand, I couldn't, I couldn't breach the surface of the water. So I think I, I would guess I was probably a good foot, maybe a little bit more uh, below the surface of the water, even with my hand all the way up. So this is what I did. I would squat down, and I would get all the energy I could in my legs, and I would burst up and like do the like whale thing, like a dolphin thing to the surface, and I'd breach the surface, and I'd cry out, Dad! And I'd go right back down. And so right away, my mom starts calling out to my dad. We both share the same name. We're both Craig. And she starts calling out, Craig! Craig's drowning! And so here's what you got to know about my dad in this moment that makes the story even more interesting. He's blind. Like literally no eyes in his head, blind, can't see a thing. Been that way almost since the day he was born. And he's out there floating around on his black inner tube, which is a whole other story in and of itself. Like what's the blind guy doing out there on his own floating around the lake? But there he is. And he's probably a couple hundred yards away. And so he starts calling back, Craig. And I'd go under, and I'd come back up, Dad. And I'd hear him call, and then I'd go back down. And there's my mom crying out to me. There's other people around, which when I think about it now, I'm like, why did nobody come to my aid? But they didn't. And so there's my dad floating around, however far away he was from me. And I keep going down and coming up and going down and coming up. And there's this one distinct time where I remember I breached the surface, but not enough. And so my mouth, when I cried, Dad, I just went full of water right away. And I went back down. And I don't know how many more times that happened, but I do distinctly remember one time being down here like this and thinking, I can't do this much more. Like, I'm just not, I'm, this isn't going to end well. And I don't know how in the world this happened, but my blind dad with sonar ears made it directly above me. And the last time that I remember bursting up to the surface, before I breached it, his hand was in the water. I remember seeing it. Grabbed me, scooped me up, plopped me on his lap, and I never hugged his naked chest so hard in all my life in that moment. And here's what I loved about, like, just even thinking back to that story, is that my dad found me because he knew the sound of my voice. And as I cried out for help, he cried back my name. And he got to me because our ears were both tuned to one another's voice. God has a voice, and it can be heard. And, and not in like this weird, supernatural, bizarre way, although I do think God speaks in very supernatural ways. I think the truth is, most of the time, when God speaks, he does so in very common and ordinary ways, so much so that I think many of us have probably heard the voice of God before and not realized that's what it was. Dante Bowie, he, he's a songwriter and a musician. Um, this is how he explains the voice of God. He says, I can hear it in the crackle of a bonfire, and I can hear it in the middle of the ocean water. I just can't explain it, but it makes me want to cry. I can hear it when the rain falls on my windowsill, on the playground where the children's laughter lives. I can even hear it in the busy New York City streets. I can hear it in the country Georgia fields of green. It sounds sometimes like grandmama telling me where I've come from. It sounds like laughter out of the mouths of your loved ones. It sounds like a choir singing hymns of hallelujah. It sounds like a newborn baby crying. It sounds like a loved one passing on. I can't explain it, but it brings me to life. I know the first time I ever heard the voice of God tell you in all honesty, I was five years old. I was sitting in a classroom. Mrs. Jesse was the teacher. Sweet old Mrs. Jesse every single week put up with us obnoxious kids and told us the same story every week. 
And I just remember, I can't explain it, but I remember one Sunday at five years old, for everything that I didn't understand in that moment, what I did understand is that inside me, I just had this overwhelming sense that I mattered to this being she was talking about that was so strong and compelling to me that it was beyond me. And I certainly didn't have all of my questions answered. I mean, I was five. I didn't even know what questions to ask. But I knew I heard something. And I've heard God's voice multiple times throughout my life. Sometimes I've heard it through friends. Sometimes I've heard it in that internal voice. Sometimes I've heard it in the moment of emotion that I don't even understand where it comes from. You've had those moments too. You're like, what is this? Why am I crying at this commercial? And it just triggers something and God's using it to speak. I've heard it through this book. But here's the thing about God's voice. If it can be heard like any other voice, it can also be ignored. And if God is who he is, the Lord of all creation, then it would stand to reason that if we listen to his voice, it is to our benefit. And if we ignore it, it is to our detriment. So this is obviously the Sunday where everybody would be expecting we're going to talk about a dead guy come back to life. And I am. But here's going to be the twist of this morning. I'm not going to just talk about Jesus come back to life. Because one of the weird things about Easter is that even if you have no church background, like here's what I would believe. Even if you've never stepped into church before, if I could find somebody that never once in their life went to church, maybe some of you are that person right now watching online or in this room. I would bet you're still familiar with this story, that there's a group of people that call themselves Christians that believe that God became a man, died, and rose again. It'd be really hard to find somebody that doesn't know that part of this story. And here's what happens sometimes in our familiarity, both for those of us that believe it and those of us that don't, is that in our familiarity with this story of Jesus' death and resurrection is that we can lose the implication of what it means for us. And we can find ourselves only going, well, he raised, but missing what his resurrection means for our lives. So I want to look at another story that involved Jesus with a different dead man who he brought back to life and see how what happened in that moment was not just about a story 2,000 years ago. I believe it's about all of our stories. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to be in a book called John in the 11th chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put all of this up on screen so you can follow along. But here's where we're going to go for the next couple of minutes. John chapter 11 verse 1 says this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one that you love is sick. So there, there's so much that we can, I think, understand about God in us and what he wants to do and teach to us through his own resurrection that I think is embedded into this story. The first of which that cannot be ignored and overlooked is frankly one of the most difficult aspects to deal with. But it is this. I think you and I all share a similar condition. I would actually say every single human being, whoever has, does, or will exist, shares a similar condition to that of Lazarus. We're all sick. We're all sick. We're all born with a condition that is a sickness that keeps us separate from God. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about this sickness all throughout its pages, almost from the beginning and all the way up to the end. 
This sickness essentially being the product of any decision, whether small or great, to reject God in his ways of life. Whether that's an altogether rejection, there is no God, Jesus is not God, forget him. Or even what you would consider a minor rejection of, I believe there's a God, I believe Jesus is him, but I'm only going to do some of what he instructs for life. I'm only going to follow in some of what he says, this is how life works best. To any degree, no matter how great, no matter how small, what the Bible says is that That is a sickness present inside all of us that is sin, and it is what keeps us separate from God and knowing him. We all share a similar condition to Lazarus. Now, here's the thing, though. God's voice isn't the only voice on the subject in creation. There's a lot of different voices, some in our heads, some from around us, and our influences, two of the primary voices around us that have an opinion about this reality of our sickness would tell us two things. One is you're not sick. And the other is, you're too sick. I want to start with the you're not sick for just a minute. Uh, There's all places that we could go to in the Bible that talk about the reality of this sickness. Its effect, its impact. But one of the places and one of the people that I think speak the most directly about it is a man named Paul. And once when he wrote in a letter that was originally to a church he started in Ephesus, became a part of the Bible called Ephesians. This is what he writes in chapter 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed in the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following in its desires and thoughts, like the rest, were by nature deserving of wrath. The Bible is clear, and not just in one place, that every single one of us is born into a condition of sickness that's called sin. It's in us. It's not something we pick up along the way. It's not something that just happens through influence. It's something in us from the moment we're born. As a matter of fact, I want want you to help me for, for a moment. Would you just look at somebody that's with you? You probably came with somebody. Look at somebody that you came with. If you didn't come with somebody, make a quick friend. Like, seriously, look at somebody. You looking at somebody? All right, now I just want you to say this. Look them in the eye and say, you are full of it. Some of you like that a little too much. This is the message of the Bible. We are full of sin. It's also not a very friendly message. It's not a popular message, which is why most of us would prefer to just reject that message and believe the other voice that says, I'm not sick. Yet the reality is we have to deal first with a diagnosis before we can get to deliverance. If we're going to understand what Jesus did to deliver us, we have to understand why he came to deliver us. That's the diagnosis. And the diagnosis is creation is sick. And and we don't have to look far to see it. If you don't want to look only at yourself, then fine, look around us. How about consider this sobering reality? In all of human existence, what we have as a world right now is the best we've been able to do. And there are beautiful things about this world. But there is also a deep, deep brokenness that we cannot deny. Where children are sold into slavery. People are murdered, abuse, betrayal. There are horrific things that we do to one another. The news is full of it, littered with it. Any given day, it is unavoidable to look around our world and to deny that it is a broken, broken humanity. And this is the best that we have been able to create because of the sickness that is sin. And this sickness, this sin, it explains everything wrong with this world. 
literally everything from barking dogs and car alarms and break-ins and robbery and murder and death itself, even snow that falls in April. It literally explains everything wrong with this planet and everything broken. And yet there is a voice in humanity that would have us believe, and sometimes it's just the voice in our head, and it is a lie, but it would have us believe that we are not sick, we didn't break the world, and actually a better tomorrow is in the power of our hands. Here's the truth of the scriptures. We are sick, we did break it, we're not the solution, we're the problem. And we're in desperate need of somebody that can fix it. And we are not the ones that can. Here's, here's the other reality, though, is that when Jesus speaks to us through this book about our sickness, it is not to shame us. It's not to belittle us. It's not to kick us when we're down. We're all used to people doing that. We're all used to somebody pointing out our errors and pointing out our flaws to do nothing more than shame us. When Jesus speaks of our sickness, it is not to shame us. It is to heal us. It is to present to us the only thing that can make us well. But I do think that sadly, sometimes one of the messages that we have come to believe, and unfortunately, sometimes it's even been a message that's come out of the church. It's another voice. It's the voice that says you're too sick. It's a voice that says that God doesn't want much to do with you unless you can clean yourself up. Like he wants a better version of you. Like because of the stuff that you've done, the brokenness in your life, the mistakes that you've made, maybe the mistakes you're making right now is that God actually would prefer a better version of you. So if you can kind of clean yourself up a little bit, then God would love you. What God really loves is people that are a little bit more religious and clean than you. Like you're on the radar, but you're kind of second fiddle. You get the back back seat. And can I just tell you, if for any of you that message is in your head, that there's something you've done, something about who you are that has God going, I don't quite love you as much as others, can I just tell you, that is a lie, an absolute lie. The truth of this book is that God is wildly, absolutely, immeasurably passionate about you, and he knows everything about you, and he still is. Matter of fact, the story, actually, if you go back to the story of these sisters and their brother, I love what happens next. So they, they reach out to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So they're identifying that there's a love that he has for them. Now here, watch what Jesus does. He underscores that. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I don't ever want us to miss that this story that we celebrate of resurrection is the product of one thing, and it is the love that God has for all of us. Every one of you. If there was anything I could do with the rest of my time this morning, then what I plan to do, it would literally be to want to just stand here and know all of your names and just do what the scriptures just did. Call out your name and say, Jesus loves you, and try to push back any lie in your head or heart that would say otherwise. But here's what's really complicated sometimes about God is that the very next verse seems to contradict this. It says here, verse 5 again, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Like, what? He loved him. He didn't move to him. He didn't go to him. As we continue to read on, we know that the result of Jesus pausing and not coming right away is that Lazarus ends up dying. And I, and I just want you for a minute to put yourself in the position of these sisters who believe that this man has the power to heal your sick brother. And, and they, I don't think, entirely believe that he's the God of creation yet, but they've seen him do unbelievable things, unexplainable things, things no other human being has ever done. And so they call on him because they have a belief that he can make their brother well. And then they wait. And they wait. 
they wait. And they wait. And for some of you, you don't have to imagine too hard because I, I would bet that for some of you, that's your story. That maybe right now or at some point in your life, there was something that was happening. Maybe it was a sick child or a sick parent, a job you couldn't afford to lose, a marriage that was falling apart, and you cried out to God. And maybe you did that thing where you even said stuff like, if you will, then I will, and you tried to make a deal. Or maybe, maybe you just said, hey, if you're really there, then would you, and you said things like that. Maybe you did believe, and you still cried out, and yet wherever you were at in your belief and understanding of him, what happened, what it feels like happened is that he waited. And whatever it is that you asked for his help and healing in, it feels like it died. And it feels like, or felt like, even if he is there, he didn't care. It's exactly where these sisters are at. And while I would never pretend to try to understand all of the mysterious ways that God works and what he allows and what he doesn't allow, I don't understand all of that. Here's what I do know, and I want to remind you, this is a story about resurrection, a man who is dead and going to come back to life. So may I suggest that what I have experienced in my life and seen in so many others may be true for you, that sometimes the moments that feel like God's greatest disappointment are a setup for you for his greatest miracles. Here's what happens next. On his arrival, verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. I love this. You have these very different personalities in these two sisters. I love Martha, because I feel like I would identify much more with Martha. You've got Mary that stays home for, for probably a mix of reasons, the emotion, the sadness, probably even just the frustration. Like, I can't deal with him. I can't go talk to him right now. I don't even know what to make of him. He didn't come when we called. I'm not going. But then you've got Martha. She's like, oh, no, he didn't. He and I got words. And Martha's like in the driveway, in his face. She's not letting him get to the house. She's meeting him because Martha got some questions. So Martha runs up to Jesus. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I do know this. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So Martha is, I mean, she's kind of unveiling that even in this moment, she's got belief and unbelief. She's not quite sure who Jesus entirely is, right? Because she's saying, God will give you. There's a disconnect that he is God, but she does believe that he's got power, connection to God, can do something miraculous. And so she's acknowledging that, but she's still not entirely there in her understanding of who Jesus is. So he's going to clear up some of who he is in this moment. And he responds back. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And I love this. Martha cuts him off. And she says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. In other words, she's kind of saying, I don't want the Bible answer that he'll live after death, that he's going to be in heaven. So she's saying, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wanted him now. And here's what Jesus says back to her. Because what she's doing, she's saying, yeah, he's going to have this thing called resurrection. I believe he's going to be in heaven and have resurrection. Now, Jesus clarifies what resurrection is. Watch this. He says to her what is probably the most important moment of conversation in all the Bible. Martha. Martha, Jesus said. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her the most important question in all creation. And it is a question to you and I. And some of you have answered it and some of you have not. And maybe some of you have answered it wrong. When he looks at her and he says, 
do you believe this? Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Do you believe this? And here's what's really interesting about what Jesus says to her in this moment when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, is he's not doubling down on one concept with the two words. He's actually using two different words. This part of the Bible was originally written in Greek. These two words, resurrection and life, they're not the same. Resurrection comes from the Greek word anastasis. It's probably what we tend to think of. It's what Martha is first thinking of. It's the resurrection into eternity. It's that there is life after death. It literally speaks to the permanent establishment in the family of God that the grave does not win. That's what Martha kind of was already at. She's like, yeah, resurrection after that. He says, I am that. But here's what's so fascinating. He goes on and uses a different word after that. He says, I am that. He says, that's not something that just exists. That's not something out there. He says, you got to understand this, Martha. I'm that. Like that that you're talking about, that resurrection, that's me. I do that. But I'm also this. I am life. Now, that's a different Greek word. That's not anastasis. That's zoe. And the word zoe, it literally refers to the abundance of life. Once Jesus was talking and he said, I've come to give life and give it to its fullest. This is zoe. It is that rich, deep, meaningful, satisfying, soul-drenching. This is why I get up in the morning with joy, even though life is against me. Life. Jesus says, I am resurrection and I am life. And what I love about that is he is saying to Martha and he is saying to us, do not mistake that I am life after death, but I am life before it. That's what the Apostle Paul would later on write in the Bible when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's like, listen, man, if you're with Jesus, there's no loss. If you live this life with him, you got God. If you pass on to the next, you're with God. There is no loss when you're with him. Resurrection and life. But then he turns to her and he says, but Martha, do you believe this? And one of the things I love so much about this point of the story is that he hasn't even dealt with the fact that there's a dead guy in the tomb. He hasn't even gotten there yet. And I love that because what it says to me is that I really believe this. Wherever you're at today, whether you fully believe this, kind of believe this, or think it's nonsense, or whether you've been so disappointed with God that your hatred towards him right now would have you crucify him today if you had the chance, know this, he wants to tangle up with you in all of your emotion. The fact that all of this conversation happens before he even addresses the dead guy tells me that Jesus desperately wants to be tangled up in all of our doubt, questions, anger, hurt, frustration, all of it, and speak into it. To speak understanding, to speak empathy, to speak compassion, I think to speak life. And that's what he does next. Back in John, this is what happens. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone that had been laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus! I don't know that's how he said it. Come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let 
him go. The only thing missing from this story, in my opinion, is what in the world did Lazarus first say? Like, what does a dead dude come back to life say when they unwrap his face? Like, hot coffee, please? <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know what you say, but here's the point. You cannot miss this. What Jesus did, and it's how he even prayed here beforehand by raising Lazarus, was to say, was to communicate to all of us, I am the resurrection. I am the life. I'm showing you what I do with Lazarus to show you what I can do with you. I can call you all out of your tomb. I can deal with the sickness that is sin. I can guarantee you life abundantly now and life eternally forever. I am resurrection and life. But the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? One last story I want to give you before I walk off. It's a little bit more modern of a story than 2,000 years ago. But I think it's such a perfect picture of what today ultimately celebrates. In 2013, um, there's a shipping vessel off the coast of Nigeria. It's about 100 miles off the coast. They hit a big storm, 12-man crew, uh, boat capsized after fighting the storm for several hours, and then sank. Uh, basically, I think it was nearly 100 feet to the bottom. And all 11 uh, of the crew died. You said, well, there was 12, right? One didn't. So I want to show you a picture of the boat. This is actually a, a recreation, obviously. So three days go by. Really interesting, three days. Uh, Three days go by, and what happens is the dive team that was able to be sent out once the storm calmed down uh, showed up three days later, assuming at this point it's nothing but rescuing bodies, uh, collecting bodies. But what they didn't realize is that Harrison O'Keen, who was the cook on this crew, found his way as the boat was capsizing into a small room that had about three feet of air, a little pocket. And he sat there in the pitch black for three days until they breached this room. Here's the real photo from a video. If you Google this, it's literally emotional. The dive team shows up. This is literally a snapshot right off of the video. And they almost panic. They're like, there's a guy in here. Like, he's not dead. He's alive. So they find Harrison O'Keen. He'd been in there pitch black for three days. They get him in all the equipment that he needs and get him to the surface. So all these interviews, all these stories afterwards of what had happened and how he survived Two things that were so poignant. One, he says this. For days, all that was around me was pitch black, and I was crying out and calling on Jesus to rescue me. So they asked him, well, how did you survive? And he talked about some of the mental exercises he did to, like, keep his mind from just going crazy. But then he talked about what he did for consumption. Because you can't drink the water. It's the ocean. There's no food around. So this is literally what he said he did. He just felt around in the dark to grab whatever he could, and the only thing that he could find floating around to consume was bottles of Coca-Cola or cans of Coca-Cola. So this is literally what he lived off of for three days, cans of Coke. Now I want to make a couple of pretty obvious observations and then tell you why I think this is our story. The first observation is this. The reason that the dive team had to come to Harrison is because Harrison couldn't get to them. Like, well, that's a no-brainer. Of course it is. No matter how much he tried, no matter how much he believed he had the strength, no matter how good of a person he thought he was, the reality was that boat was his tomb, and he wasn't getting out of it. It was a condition that trapped him and required somebody to come to his aid because he couldn't get to them. Here's obvious observation number two. This was not keeping him alive. I don't know how many more days he could have stayed down there with this, but ultimately, this was not keeping him alive. It was delaying the inevitable, that he was already a dead man. It was just slowing down that reality, just a bit. 
Here's where his story, I think, is our story and what this day is about. The reason that God had to become a man and come to us is because we couldn't get to him. Our best efforts, our best thoughts, our best behaviors, nothing we can do in our strength can deal with the sickness that is sin. Jesus came to us because we couldn't get to him. Here's reality number two. And I think maybe this is the thing that some of you even came here for today and you don't realize it. Some of us are living our lives the same way. Some of us are living our lives reaching around the world right now, trying to grab everything that we can get our hands on, believing that the right relationship, the right income, the right subdivision, the right job, the right marriage, the right sports for my kids, that that stuff will satisfy, will give Zoe life, it will make life meaningful, rich, purposeful. It'll take care of that nagging sense that something's missing. If I just get my hands on enough of this that the life that I'm in offers. But here's the reality. We consume it and then realize it wasn't enough. And so we get bigger. I, I need a different house. I need a different spouse. I need a different neighborhood. I need a different job. I need more. I need more in my bank account. And the, the problem is, is that keeps going on. And then that's not enough, so I need more. And here's the reality. We, we end up drinking all of that, and then we go, I need more. And we think, if I just keep getting more and more and more, and can I just point out the obvious? That's not keeping you alive. It's delaying the inevitable. That the reeking havoc of sin is killing us. And there's only one person that came that can fix that problem. And it's Jesus Christ. One of the most poignant things that Jesus ever said about himself is recorded just a few chapters away from where we've been. In the book of John, chapter 14, Jesus once said this. He's actually, he's talking to his disciples in this moment about death and eternity, and they're, they're kind of panicking. They're freaking out. None of us like the subject. None of us like the topic. So they're nervous, and Jesus says to them this, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And I love this. Thomas, one of his disciples, answers back. He's like, uh, <clears throat> actually, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way to get there? Again, this is the question. If there is a God, how do we get to him? How do we get to where he is and to who he is? And Jesus answered it. And he clarifies in a similar way here that he did with those sisters. He says, I am the way. The way is not something else. The way is not religion. The way is not behavior. I am that way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We live in a world that is full of a lot of voices that would have us to believe that there are multiple gods and multiple ways to God. And so it is a pretty unpopular idea when Jesus says, there is one God, I am him, I'm the only way to him. But this is not Jesus being closed-minded, narrow-minded. It's not Jesus just kind of stomping his foot down going, I'm in charge, it's my way or the highway. This is Jesus with desperate compassion crying out to humanity, there is no one else coming for you. But I came. I came for you. And what's so ironic is it wasn't long after this moment with Lazarus that Jesus himself was wrapped in linen and put in a tomb and a stone covered its entrance. The difference between these two tombs is that in Jesus' tomb, three days later, under his own power, he opened his eyes, he sat up, he took his feet, and he walked out of that tomb. That's why we celebrate today. 
Because there is a God, his name is Jesus, his tomb is empty, his story is not over and neither is yours or mine. And his voice to us is this, I am the resurrection, I am the life, I walked out of my tomb so you can walk out of yours.
more that's going to launch us out into the rest of the day, but I wanted to take a pause before we go into the last song, and here's why. Shame on me if I don't give us all the opportunity to answer the question, do you believe this? And some of you in this room have answered that, yes, and that's why you're here to celebrate. And some of you have answered it, no, and you're still answering no, and just know this. It doesn't require you to believe in God for him to exist. He's nuts about you still. He's patient with you, gracious with you, and will continue to speak to you. And I pray that there will be a day that you believe that there is a God whose name is Jesus, who has been pursuing you your whole life. But some of you, some of you, I believe, are ready to say yes. 
because you know God has been calling to you. And maybe you've even had a moment where you believe, but you have just never done what the Apostle Paul once said, with your mouth have declared Jesus is Lord. And have said, I believe God raised him from the dead. And so I'm gonna give you a moment to do that and a chance to respond to that. And there's no magical way to do that. There's no routine way to do that. As a matter of fact, the prayer I'm gonna give you right now, you wouldn't even find it in the Bible. It's just a kind of a heartfelt moment of expressing to God, I believe. And you might go, yeah, but I've still got doubts. So do I. You're like, I've still got questions. I've got a ton of them. Join my party. But if you can today say, for everything that I still have, even frustration, doubt, questions, hesitation, today I'm willing to say, yes, Jesus, you are the resurrection and you are the life. You are Lord, crucified and resurrected. Help me to know how to walk with you and do life with you then would you just, all of us, would you close your eyes for a moment and those of you that that's your desire, would you out loud to be heard, would you just say these words with me and pray this prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified and resurrected, I give you my life and I receive yours. Amen. And if you're like, wait, don't I have to say more? You will. Well, there's lots more that he's going to say to you and you're going to say to him as time unfolds, but that's where it starts. And this is what makes today so glorious, that this is not a religion. It is a resurrection. There is a God. His name is Jesus. His tomb is empty so that ours can be too. Come on, let's get those hands going one more time. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind away? It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not
sing, I need a rescue. I need a rescue. My sin was heavy. My chains break at the weight of your glory. I need a shelter. Yeah, I was alone. But you called me. Come on, we sing it. When I was broken. glad you guys are with us excited for the rest of what you have today in front of you but most of all excited about the fact that God's voice is not contained to a building so listen this week and you'll hear it have a great rest of the day celebrating that our God is alive bye-bye you've been listening to the Kensington Church podcast if you've enjoyed this recording check back weekly for new content you can find Kensington on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and of course at Kensington Church dot org.